I've never seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings Dude, that's pretty oh, cool. Man, that is good. I'm just that sad. Is sad. Wow. <laughs> Dude, that's pretty good. This is Dick Lee bringing you weekly interviews with F3 Omaha Packs, exploring their F3 experiences and finding those sticky elements that create the glue in the gloom. I'm really excited. Uh, I got a guy on the call today that um, I just got to hang out with at the Impact Retreat. Uh, if, if you didn't know, he's he's well known across the world for uh, his excellence in the, the subject of forensics theater. Um, <laughs> about that, he's also I uh, got some really good stories about uh, about hunting and just various tactics to to catch your your prey. Uh, just a really fun guy, really great leader, um, and man, Toto, I'm just—it's good to see you, man. I had had a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, happy to be here. Um, you know, for this, right? Tell us, um, how did it start? What was who we show? What was your first workout like? And um, how'd you get the name Toto? Yeah, so June of 2020, um, as you can imagine, was a, a really fun time for everybody. COVID obviously was high lockdown status. Everybody was. Uh, you know, really staying at home. Uh, I'm really good friends with the LPC. And uh, he had reached out to me and said, man, I found this group. I think you should check it out. Um, and he had just started maybe a week or so ahead of it. Um, and it was just convenient enough that he says, uh, you come check this out. A um, bunch of dudes that just all getting together to work out in the morning. Um, I think it's right up your alley. And I said, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, when is it? And he said, five o'clock. I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not much for the, for the early rising thing. And of course, I think that's a lot of people's excuses, right? But he talked me into it. He came and picked me up, uh, went to Paradise for the first time. I remember Grills was on the queue and uh, really enjoyed it. Um, people just jumped right in and chatted up with me. Uh, I remember Roadhouse just thinking how cool that guy was to, to just be so eager to get to know me, uh, jumping in there. And then uh, when it came time to be named, it didn't take very long. All I said was I grew up in Kansas and about five seconds later, I got named Toto. So uh, it took a little bit longer than most probably to introduce myself as a result of that quick nickname, but uh, been coming ever since. Um, Paradise was definitely the, the one that I enjoyed the most early on. Um, Let's see. I think what was really cool about um, being EH at that time in my life was it was just something that that I was really in need of. Um, I'd kind of already been on a bit of a weight loss journey um, the year prior to that, doing some fasting and stuff. Um, but there was so much more out there that that was available to me um, that kind of came to fruition as I joined F3 and, and started making that a part of my life just in the the mental health standpoint, the the faith um, aspect, just so much of it came came to the forefront for me. It was really nice. What so from a fitness perspective, because that's a running site, right? A lot of guys don't like to start, mm -hmm. start there. Um, you know, so curious, where were you at from a fitness perspective? I mean, running was, was that something you were doing, or were you lifting, or what was that like? Yeah. Um, 
I used to lift back in the day, um, more so than anything, you know, just try to rep it out, um, maybe jump on the treadmill in a weight room for a couple miles. Uh, but hadn't really been doing that much. I'd say that most of my fitness when I first started F3 really was just outdoor strolls, um, just being active outdoors uh, and running was a big part of that. Uh, definitely run much more today than I ever thought I would be as a result of F3. Uh, but it wasn't a big surprise. Um, I guess it wasn't too difficult to to jump in on Paradise that first time and and stick with the stick with the crew. Well, so the other thing you mentioned, because in my mind, I think you're you're one of the guys that keeps pushing our pre-run times earlier. So I'm curious, how did you overcome the the hurdle that was that morning getting up so early, or what's been the change? Because now I feel like you're the one that's like, let's go 5:30, let's go or 4:30 and do five miles, or so what changed for you there? Uh, I think I just have a hunger. I have a hunger now for meeting up with the guys. Um, it's amazing how awesome, um, the conversations can be on a 45 minute pre-run, um, even 30 minute pre-run, whatever it may be. Um, a lot of those times kind of just continue to get pushed. Not so much because of, uh, uh, you know, wanting to run more, but the uniqueness of the routes. So, um, Obviously, at the berm, Lake Flanagan, to make a good loop around there, you need a little bit of extra time. And then as the helix opened up, um, we had kind of an out and back plan. But because I live so close here to Standing Bear, I always ran around it. And I just remember reaching out to Pantyhose and be like, dude, we should really create a full loop on this thing. Um, I, I don't like running back through the same thing that I just came from. So um, that's just more of um, you know, my thing, but making the full loop around standing bear, then increase that pre-run to a little over five miles. And so, uh, I don't think anybody really had an issue with it until LPC made it known that, uh, we keep getting further and further, uh, <laughs> into the, the four o'clock hour, um, to get going. So, uh, but I really think it's a, a lot of just extending those conversations, um, you know, finding those pre-run groups that, that you're really tight with. Um, it's a lot of my stress release right there on the day-to-day. -day. So were you an early adopter of the pre-run? I mean, obviously Paradise is, a, a as Plague had mentioned, a, a very run-heavy focused AO. I mean, is it something that you said, okay, well, I'm just going to carry this over and just jump right into these pre-runs too, or was this more of a gradual thing later on? Uh, it was, it was probably more gradual. Um, I got to where I was kind of commit myself to at least two pre-runs a week. Um, and then I remember seeing somebody like pantyhose, I'd show up like combine or, um, top rope and he'd always be coming in from a pre-run like, all right, damn it, I'm going to have to step my game up. You know, I really looked up to pantyhose. And uh, seeing him coming in there all the time in the pre-run, I just knew he's just getting that much more, right? He's getting that much more out of his day, and, and I need to do something similar. And I also remember Tater Tot early on. I think we are at Cornhusker Handicap, and a similar deal where, where they came running in, and I hadn't uh, been there for the pre-run. He said, man, it's a great opportunity just to get to know the guys. There's a lot of mumble chatter. Um, just getting a lot of deeper conversations. So 
uh, got to check it out. And just a couple of those elements is what really kind of started getting me kicked off. And I mean, for personal fitness standpoint, I think what was always nice, I think you told me this plague too, is that, um, you know, what's nice about the pre-run is you can really get a lot out, right? You can exert a lot of energy you can get that workout in. And then when it comes time for the beat down, um, maybe you dial it back a notch or two, but you help pick up the six. Yeah. You jump around, you have conversation um, and get to know the packs that are there for the day. And maybe they're just now coming out so you can spend a little more time with them kind of thing. And instead of just grinding it out and kind of getting into your own little silo to complete the beat down. You know, I, I do. I love that because that, that, to me, that's, that's kind of how the, the pre-run started off, right? With there was a, a workout, and I won't say who cued, but there was a workout that wasn't that challenging. And I think it was maybe Low Man and, and I and maybe a couple other people that were like, you know, looking at our fitness trackers. And it's like, did you get, how many calories did you burn, right? So it was like, hey, let's just, let's go all out during this pre-run thing. And then the beatdown doesn't really matter if it's that intense or not, right? But I, um, you, you know, something I noticed in you, Toto, is um, your, that kind of hunger for more, um, so tell me a little bit about that, because I think you're also one of the first guys I remember hearing about doing this 75 hard challenge, right? And that you've, I've seen that just kind of waterfall down, like people love that, that challenge, but I think that originated from you. What do you, where do you think that comes from, or have you been able to identify the source of that? Uh, I think there's a sense of um, accomplishment in the 75 hard challenge, um, specifically that, that just resonates for me. Um, I mean. It feels good to have uh, a pack of abs that you don't see all year long. Um, maybe if it's only for a month or so when you complete 75 hard. Um, so I think uh, that was a big element in completing. And I remember the first time it was actually work that started it. Um, we had a, a gal that uh, was really trying to put forth some effort to get kind of a fitness program together. And she had came across the 75 hard and it was right in the, it was probably mid-October. So I started it. I made it about 10 days and I was like, I can't do this. I'm not doing this through the, through the holidays. Um, it just wasn't like the hardest time to try. And, oh, I know. I was try like, and do it. It's the worst. Um, and I was just angry about it. <laughs> like, so I quit it. Um, sadly and about three months passed and, um, I was really, cause I wanted to do it. I just didn't know when. So I committed to doing it that next February and I got another buddy. It wasn't a large group anymore. It was just one other dude. And I said, all right, I made it 10 days last time. And if I make it those 10 days, then you have to start. And then once I did that, he committed to that. Um, then I had to set the example. And so I had to finish it once he started. And as a result, we both finished it and it felt great. Um, that first time, the reason I chose when to start it was I wanted to complete my first 75 hard before my son was born. And it just so happened that um, I was going to be done like five days before. And I thought this is going to be perfect. Well, he ended up coming a little bit early. And the day that my 75 hard concluded was the day that he was born. He was born at like nine o'clock that night. Of course, I was done with my workouts. I was done with everything. Um, come midnight, I was ordering chocolate cake and had six pack delivered to my room and um, was on cloud nine, as you can imagine, new baby boy in the room and just just felt overwhelming. Um, 
And so I kind of committed to myself to maybe making an annual thing of it. I got such a reward out of that first time. And um, so fast forward uh, about nine months later, um, January, started talking to Pantyhose about doing it. He was on the fence. I finally got him to uh, accept the challenge. And uh, we had a number of other people start trickling in. Uh, I remember we got truly to accept the challenge. Like the day we started, he just, oh yeah, I'll start too. <laughs> I don't know if it works like that, but he hung in there for for some time. I was pretty surprised. Um, but we had a number of us that all started um, early February last year and, and had a good time doing it. And I think we all saw a lot out of it, uh, not only from a fitness standpoint, but obviously just the, the challenges that, that invoke on you. I remember having to take spring break vacations and going out and just, you know, trying to go out in the middle of nowhere outside to get beat down in on your own is it's not always the easiest of things to achieve. Well, definitely commend you for, for picking it back up and talk about the ultimate reward, right? For completing it your first time through having your, having your kid born the day you finish up. It's pretty sweet. Uh, you know, I, as someone who has done it multiple times, I'm curious on how when you when you went and did the second time with the F3 group of guys, did the dynamic shift? I mean, what was different about that time from the first time that you did it? Uh, well, I, I tell you one thing that was the same was that I, again, felt like I had people looking at me um, to, to set the example. So, um, and this time, what was different is I had a lot more people, a lot more people kind of reaching out, um, you know, looking for tips and tricks. Um, and then we just kind of started a network for people to be able to say, you know, it's been a hell of a day trying to drink water. Um, and I think for me, I always got a kick out of, I'd jump in on those text messages too and be like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here yeah, at six o'clock and I've got a little less than half a, half a gallon in me. Um, so I'll be drinking half gallon till, till midnight tonight to try to catch up, um, which is not fun to do. Um, but I think just some of those little nuances there, those, those little stories of, of struggle, and then uh, you can really kind of help pick up the sticks, give them the encouragement. Um, those are things that at that time, you know, as the berm um, site queue, just kind of felt responsible for in that leadership role too, to, um, continued to reach out to everybody that I knew that was working through it. Um, then we also did a lot of kind of one-offs, um, reach out to each other. If somebody's going to go on a run, whatever it may be to try to, you know, still continue to get that, that three portion out of it. That was the easiest thing about 75. I don't think I could do 75 hard if it wasn't for F3. Um, you know, I was doing it. I've, I've never done it without F3. Let's put it that way. You got to work out this outside every single day. You really have no excuse. So. You know, um, I want to get your thoughts on the second F because you mentioned pre-runs and then, you know, even like this challenge. Um, were you friends with a lot of guys? So you knew LPC, but I, talk to me about that a little bit. Did you know a lot of guys or what um, was helpful for you to kind of feel like you were, you know, a part of as you joined the group? Um, I'm, I'm a very sociable individual. Um, so it doesn't take long for me to, to make new friends, if you will. And, um, I think what's nice about that, well, I'm, 
I'm from Kansas, so it's not like I have a whole lot of um, deep roots here to begin with. Um, you know, ironically enough, I, I know LPC um, because his wife's aunt and my aunt were best of friends growing up. Um, my first cousin went to school and graduated with LPC's wife. And so when we moved to Omaha, you know, typical aunt fashion, hey, I know somebody that's husband's a realtor. And or, of course, she mentioned Lindsay and it's like, yeah, yeah, I remember Lindsay through mutual weddings and things of that nature that we attended growing up. Um, so when I met LPC, he, uh, we were looking for a house and he showed us a few houses and my wife was pregnant with our first Julia and we kind of went on hiatus for a couple months. And then he showed us some houses again after we, um, were carrying Julia around in a um, baby carrier and, um, come July, we moved into our house and been in our house here for over eight years now. So. Um, we've known him a long time. We've built a great relationship. Um, but I think, you know, just in terms of getting to know uh, people within the F3 community, it's really been through a lot of the beatdowns, uh, some of the challenges, some of the things that kind of maybe separate you from the packs a little bit, siphon off some of the packs, you know, those that are willing to do, um, you know, things that are a little bit harder. I know the Spartan race was a big opportunity um, for me to kind of go out on a limb and, and travel out to, to some foreign, foreign lands, if you will, and, um, you know, really do something hard. Um, we took a, took a road trip with pantyhose and Chucky, um, out there to Indiana. And I don't know who had more fun. I think the both of them think that was one of the best road trips they've ever had in their entire life. Um, probably because we got all, all involved in my conspiracy theories at the time. Um, uh, I think they thought that was pretty entertaining, but um, just not very often you you find yourself surrounded with just extremely humble, faithful uh, family men, friends. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty easy to pretty easy to make friends in this group. That's for sure. Well, and, and I guess um, how much of that comes from your your background in in forensic theater. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that what kind of taught you to come out of your shell or no I'm, if guys uh, go, gotta ask you about that yeah yeah i don't know um yeah for those on the on the line here forensics i always refer to as forensics that's what our school is named it's basically like a drama club um i the only reason i even got into that to begin with was to chase girls um so it was me and my me and my best man growing up and we thought that it'd be uh, obviously fun to wear goofballs. And we did some of the early plays in the first semester. And the second semester is always dedicated to forensics. So you'd, um, there's all sorts of different things to do, duets and um, solos and uh, speech. And, um, we did IDA, which stands for Improvised Duet Acting. It was like the one thing we thought we could commit to. And uh, essentially, about every Saturday morning, um, banged up and bruised from any ball games that we had the night before. We'd load a bus about 5.30 in the morning and we'd travel an hour and a half to some school where a bunch of schools came together and we did a forensics meet and um, it was all team scored, similar to like a track meet, if you will. And we were good. Our, our school actually won state my junior year. Um, and then my senior year, 
Uh, we went to state as well in IDA, but just had a total meltdown. Uh, both of us, we, we drew some bad cards, but um, that's not here nor there. What IDA is, is improvised duet acting. And so we would both go into like a gymnasium. They'd have some tin cans full of a bunch of little pieces of paper and we'd draw a place or a location. We would draw two different characters in a situation and we'd have to put together like a seven minute skit um, and act out in front of a bunch of people. So um, that kind of brought me out of my shell, I suppose. Um, but like I said, the, the better was, our skit. Uh, I got to ask you, I got to ask you real quick, what was the skit that won you state? Uh, I didn't win state in IDA. Um, <laughs> I, I might have contributed some points that day. Uh, we had some really good seniors at that time. You would have thought they were going to LA and become actors, but they didn't have the looks for it. There were some good, there were some good memories, some, some different things I remember doing. My buddy, he was pretty, he, he was really, uh, I was just a sidebar to him. I mean, the show was really all about that guy most of the time. He got all the attention. I was just the, the accessory. Um, but Were there actually chicks in there or was that just the excuse you guys made to do it? Yeah, yeah, no, there was. We just like to broaden the, the various pools of, of girls that we were looking after <laughs> yeah, Speaking I, of America, you, you got the drama club you got the music club you got the sports club yeah. just gonna make sure that we uh we're aware of all well i do i will say if, if um you know whoever guys that are listening if next time they see toto they need to ask them about uh science class with west that would be the story she <laughs> <laughs> need to hear it's maybe not appropriate for the internet but ask them, ask them about <laughs> When you, yeah, when when you go to a, a small high school with less than 80, 90 kids in it, talking 15, 20 to a class, um, it makes there some uh, pretty entertaining stories, um, probably just because you've, you're a part of about every uh, kind of random or questionable uh, situation out there, right? Yeah, that's the whole thing about coming from a town of 400 people too. Um, not only are you related to about everybody, which is another reason why you try to get out there and date outside your schools and go to track meets and go to forensics meets and meet people. Everybody inside your town is kind of off limits. You might be dating a second or third cousin before you know it. So, um, I do. I do want to get your thoughts on the on the third act. I think you have a cool story or, or journey in that space. I think, um, you know, and, and in F3, right, we, F3 is kind of the two, two different pieces, right? It's kind of your spiritual faith, but also kind of the, the community service aspect. And um, so I know you've also led, uh, I think, a couple of years, the Polar Plunge, right? It's something that, that you have led. So I don't know if you want to talk to us about that and then maybe just your spiritual journey, what that's been like. Yeah. Um... You know, for, for me, I feel like uh, from a spiritual standpoint, and of course, this last weekend plague has been uh, really awesome and refreshing from the, the men's retreat um, that we got to experience out there, F3 Impact, and highly recommend that to anybody that might be listening to this and, and finding themselves on a similar faith journey uh, with F3. Uh, but for me, I grew up, uh, my parents were my mom, I should say, was a very dedicated Methodist um, Christian woman. 
her parents um, had also uh, raised her uh, very religious in that nature. In fact, uh, extended from my grandparents, they were actually apostolic. Um, and apostolic, if, if, you know, if you're not aware from them, they're just, they're very regimented in their um, faith journey. Um, we used to always think it was weird going over to some of our extended cousins' house that were still apostolic and there's no TV in the house, right? We're just like, kind of wish that that still existed um, at times just because it, the things that we would do and go play and not be concerned about uh, obviously is awesome. But um, I, within our small communities and obviously through my grandparents and, and all that stuff, um, you know, religion was always a, a big part of our life. Went to church every every Sunday, um, prayed mostly always before all of our meals. Um, we had a very foundational group within my aunts and uncles, of course, as well. And so just had a long, a very uh, strong family dynamic. And much of that was based in our faith. And I think as a result of that and understanding the power of family and faith, um, you know, it was something that you never wanted to get rid of because you knew there was an element um, to the strength of our family that was built in faith. And so if you appreciate appreciate close family networks, um, just knowing that faith has to be a part of that is something that I understood at an early age. And as I've uh, grown up, um, it's always been harder to kind of maintain that faith aspect for me, just you get into college and maybe stop going to church as much and start looking for other things to do on a Sunday morning, like sleep in. Um, and then 10 years go by and you ask yourself, what am I doing? You know, where, where am I, where have I lost track of, of what's important? Um, and I think F3 kind of helped put some things into perspective again for me. You know, I always tell myself I'm a procrastinator by nature. Um, but I've always told myself, you know, there's time. There's always time to to get my kids back involved in the church and to get them, um, you know, up to speed and baptize them at a later date. Uh, I was baptized at birth and I always had an aunt, the same aunt that uh, uh, kind of helped helped our situation here in Omaha say, um, no, you can't just be baptized at birth you got to be baptized when you're ready to accept christ at an older age and and fully submerged too not just sprinkled on the head which i don't know you know there's a hundred different ways to be baptized in my opinion the fact is you've accepted jesus in your life and uh for me so i've still not been fully submerged if you will maybe that irks her to this day but um none of my kids have been baptized. And so I think about that too. And I think about, well, you know, maybe she is right. And maybe, maybe it is um, one of those things that they don't get the sprinkle on their head here as a young age, but that we, uh, you know, let them grow up and experience Christ on their own and, and go through confirmation and get fully baptized and, and make it their choice, you know, um, and maybe by then I'll want to get baptized a second time with them or something. So, um, you know, just, that. just real quick on that, because I, I do think this is where I've seen like, you know, man-made religion, you know, kind of bust heads on that. But just just like you said, you know, so like some traditions believe in infant baptism and some believe in, you know, what you're talking about, where you 
you know, you get baptized after like a confirmation or, you know, and um, I think ultimately Jesus said, bring the children to me. And, you know, it's, it's, so I, I think that's one of the coolest things that I noticed about the retreat and about just F3 is like, we're not, those are non-essential, right? We're not getting hung up on those things in order to like talk about faith or grow in our faith. So I just, I mean, I think, you know, and some people maybe were sprinkled many times, right? I know, I know a couple of guys that grew yeah. up in church where you got to sprinkle every time you sinned, um, you know? And so it's just, you know, I, I love that you point that out because that's something that I just feel like God's up there looking down at us going, no, that's not the thing I wanted you to get in arguments about, you know? Yeah, no, I, to- I totally agree. Thanks for saying that. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like people get, uh, people get cold feet really quickly when they're expected to, to be held to such a high standard, if you will, or a very specific thing that they're supposed to do. Um, for me, I've always approached it in the space of, am I improving? Am I improving my relationship with God? Um, you know, am I doing good? Am I giving back? Uh, am I treating others as though I want to be treated? Um, you know, and really expanding upon that. Um, so I think that faith journey um, really lends itself to that growth, that growth side, right? It's not, it's not the same for everybody. So wherever you find that kind of solace um, element, you feel like you're, you're finding Jesus when you need him and you're keeping him with you. I think that's, that's really important. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I, I really think that your story is, I mean, it's, it's common amongst other guys, right? It's um, in terms of like, Hey, you're going to go through a lull or period of time where you convince yourself, Hey, you know, we're going to, I've got excuses of, Hey, we're not going to make it to church this week, whatever. And then that kind of compounds on top of each other for a period of time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my wife and I just made it back to church for actual in-person service for the first time since COVID got over. And it wasn't, we weren't, it wasn't necessarily, Hey, like we're afraid of COVID and we don't want to go. And it was, we got really relying on the fact that our church was providing video services and it was much easier to listen to the sermon from the couch than it was to actually get ready to go in. And then, um, you know, you had kind of mentioned like, you know, getting around F3 or just knowing in my mind that I can procrastinate and these things happen. I mean, it wasn't necessarily those things that led me back to the church. It was my wife making a comment like, Oh, well, we're not raising our son in the church right now by doing this. And um, I, like, I love that you said that. I love that you're, like, recognizing that there are, essentially, God's giving us, um, I mean, glimpses of, hey, you're missing out on this piece, and it comes in different ways. One, it was, for me, it was from my wife. For you, you had mentioned it was getting kind of more involved with F3. And I kind of want to expand on that. What was it about getting kind of plugged in with F3 that kind of made you recalibrate, I guess, and, and, and put a primary focus on, on your relationship and putting that in the forefront? Um, I've always, well, I think in F3, and I think we've all probably been called upon at some point to, to close in prayer and you go, Oh, all right. Uh, well, Hmm. And you know, there's, there's an element to that, especially when you witness other people get called out and they have the same, Hmm, you know, and you're like, okay, well, how am I going to be prepared to, to give a good prayer? Uh, if I'm called out on someday. And it just got me thinking a little bit and reflecting on 
you know, my ability to do that. Um, I've always been one to pray to myself. I've never prayed out loud. And my father, my uncle, uh, who I'd mentioned a little bit this weekend, plague, um, men of faith. My uncle was the guy that he could command a room and give a prayer. They're just like, man, could you just write that down? Um, and just let me sit on that for a while. Like just really moving. Um, and I think a lot of prayers are really moving if you're doing the right way to, and people just really, uh, you know, close out a good prayer feeling revived and feeling like they're really, uh, they're really setting themselves on the right track for the day or, or maybe before bedtime, whatever it may be. But, um, when I was called out for the first time, um, fortunately for me, it was after I had shared in a COT that I'd never prayed out loud before. And then I was going to do it today for the first time. And I think there was about 28 guys there. And of course I rehearsed and, practice this prayer, but it never goes according to plan and you end up just winging it. And it was a success. Now I don't know if it was a success or people just gave me an overwhelming, um, you know, appreciation for it. Um, knowing that it was one of my first times ever just vocalizing it out for everybody to hear. Um, but it was a really good feeling. And I think, uh, from that day forward, I was really open to being called on sometimes looking forward to being called on for prayer. I was just ready to give one, you know? Um, but I think in doing so when you, you can't just give a prayer and, um, not feel authentic about it. Right. So now I wasn't signing myself up just to go through the motions. Um, I wanted to be called on to give a prayer, to be meaningful, to not only maybe help others be feel that much closer, um, to our higher power, but also, um, you know, myself and so i think there's an element to that that's kind of kept me leaning forward leaning in just a little deeper right just to to feel like i'm that much closer um in my walk and uh yeah just to stay on that journey so i think prayer for me was the one thing that really pulled me in uh, from an ethy perspective and I was, I think it was this weekend too, we were talking about, you know, the power of prayer. You just go through all the the elements of these last few years of COVID and the, the back and forth and bickering amongst this nation. You see something like Damar Hamlin this last couple of weeks and this country come together around prayer. That's a pretty powerful thing. And you don't notice the bickering um, and the hate that maybe transcends so often or just the the distaste um, between people and it's very hard to to point fingers at something like um, prayer uh, especially when it's a stadium full or two teams full and diverse at that right uh, you hear people complaining about a coach um, praying with his team in some random town where now they're not going to allow it anymore you don't hear any of that talk today do you um, and it's just kind of blows me away a little bit sometimes how it's just God's work. God, God found an opportunity um, and hopefully it continues to kind of mend this country together, those types of elements. Man, that, uh, 
That is so powerful. And I, I really want to highlight one piece of what you said. And, you know, what I think of when you're saying, hey, you know, I, I knew I was going to be called on to lead this prayer, but I wanted it to be meaningful and I wanted it to be impactful for other men. Like the word that comes to me or what I think of is authentic leadership, because that's what that is. It's easy to kind of go through the motions, rehearse it because you want it to sound perfect to the other guys, right? But that wouldn't create the impact that you're hoping to achieve. So kind of committing, getting full in, I just think of authentic leadership. And I really appreciate that. And I, I think that's what this group strives for. And I think you're just an example of that kind of being played out in your life. So commend you for that, um, for sure. I just wanted to make sure we're highlighting that piece. Um, yeah, thanks, Bonnie. But yeah, man. Uh, speaking of leadership, kind of maybe tell us a little about your time at the berm, how it came up, how you, what you thought, what you took away from it, <laughs> highs, lows, whatever you got. Oh man, highs, lows. I think lows was about negative 28. I don't know if it was as cold as this last one, but uh, we, we took a, a spin around the block. Um, by block, I mean Lake Flanagan when it was negative 30 wind chill and uh this year we had an opportunity to do that same thing i remember pantyhose being like i don't know buddy you might be doing this one on your own so i uh i stuck to the neighborhood um but that was as probably memorable as as any of them um i still remember slap shot uh and i kind of feel bad because we didn't recognize until about halfway through that cold run around lake flanagan that he didn't have any face protection on i'm pretty sure we could have flicked his cheek and it just would have broke like a porcelain doll um <laughs> had to hook him up with some gator gators that thereafter and uh getting warmed up but um you know, the berm has been uh, a real privilege, um, pretty close to my house. Um, I think during my time at the berm, uh, what really helped there too was uh, your pantyhose shortly before had, had started and launched the Helix. Um, the Helix is actually closer to my house, obviously, than, than the berm. Um, so there was an element like, man, I, you know, I wish this could have been my site too, but the berm will do, you know what I mean? Like the berm's close. So, um, but it really, it really offered an opportunity for, uh, pantyhose and I, I felt like at times to kind of co-host, um, or co-cue the two sites. We really leaned on each other a lot, uh, for one of us or the other to be there. Um, I was a little nervous early on cause my wife leaves for work. She's a nurse and she'll leave for work every day at like six ten. And the berm was originally scheduled for 5.30. And so I was going to miss COTs uh, quite often on the days that she was scheduled to work. And so um, early in, I rescheduled it for 5.15. And there were some gripes and moans a little bit here and there. Um, but I just told everybody, all we're really doing here is expanding our hours. We're not really changing times. Um, but... Once we got to kind of 515 start, I was able to engage in all my COTs, really kind of start uh, being there and available emotionally um, for the cues, um, as well as the packs that are that are showing up. Um, brewed a lot of coffee. Brewed a lot of coffee while I was there. Um, Birdman had kind of started the, the site coffee, I'd say, um, and the TNT. And so we uh, 
we continued to keep that tradition alive as long as we could. As long as we we're above 30 degrees, we usually had site coffee um, there for everybody. Um, I wish I would have kept track about how many gallons of coffee I'd maybe brewed, but um, talk about getting up early. That's a whole nother element to it when you're trying to put together a bunch of coffee to bring to site. Um, some of the highs, I'd say, of the berm. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of really unique um, beatdowns, if you will, um, that we had. Some of them just left you left you hurting for a couple days. Um, but probably the COTs are the ones that I remember most. And uh, and there was one COT that the LPC gave, and I think it was Christmas Eve. Um, it was cold. There was only about seven people there, uh, snow on the ground, um, just really kind of a unique environment. And LPC, he's kind of a history buff, um, of course, you know, Marine. And uh, he told a story um, of World War II, and I don't know all the specifics, but he talked about um, a battle that was ongoing on Christmas Eve and where the two commanders basically walked across this battlefield and talked to each other about how they were gonna take a pause. They're gonna take a 24 hour pause. And within that 24 hours, um, both sides came together. They shared whiskey, they shared um, candies, they talked, they played cards, um, you know, and they just, forgot about what they were doing there to begin with. And that story always stuck with me. I don't know if it was just because of kind of the, the surreal, um, you know, flakes falling, you know, ever so slightly, super calm, Christmas Eve. Um, but just some of those kind of situations, I think, in the gloom are, are rare when you can just really uh, hear a good story. Um, being an element like that, close it out in prayer, um, leave yourself finding um, yourself just really thankful um, for the opportunity. That was probably one of my high points and, and a number of different ones too. Another high point is just passing the old shovel flag off, um, got an opportunity to, to pass that leadership torch and um, given Al Borland the opportunity to step up and, and that's been a privilege in and of itself. Yeah, Al, Al Borland or AB as we like to call him. Um, man, tell us about that. I mean, how did you select, how'd you, how'd you land on him to take over at the berm? Oh, I, I think there's a, a combination of, uh, uh, you know, co-leads, site cues, you know, everybody's always kind of got their eye out for, those next leaders and, and kind of talk amongst ourselves and ab was always a part of that conversation um and i think my only hesitation to ab was the fact that he was like 10 minutes late all the time <laughs> i was like i don't know guys i don't know if he's gonna be able to make it on time <laughs> we're putting a lot we're putting a, a lot out there for this guy um but no he's he's done a fantastic job and he's always there on time now and um, I don't think he was ever 10 minutes late he was always that random headlamp trying to find us in the gloom somewhere from below the hill um, but one of the things that I, I always took away from uh, 
Al Borland was, um, you know, he's had, he's had some significant loss in his life, um, with his father, um, not long before I had met him and he was vulnerable. Um, he, he brought it up in COT. Um, and as a result, you know, it's one of those things I th mentioned a little bit over the impact weekend here, but, um, some of those significant life events haven't really um, came to fruition for me yet. Um, and so I really admire those that have been able to um, deal with them and go through those. And I think it provides a lot of wisdom um, for others in the group, um, you know, foundational for, for people that have been through those types of experiences. Um, you know, those types of experiences, you want to be able to provide support for those that go through it, but you kind of feel like you're just, uh, you're, a, you're a fake if you haven't been through it yourself. Um, and so, so knowing that, uh, that AB had been through some of that tough stuff in the past and, and he was a, he was a high impact man here, uh, not only trying to make a difference for himself, but for others, um, that really kind of lend its way um, in that direction for me. And then uh, most of us know that then he was faced with uh, some pretty scary things with his son Callum and the, the brain tumor that they had found. Um, and in his experience with that, of course, all the prayers and everything that the packs really rallied around and support, uh, you know, he found within the F3 community resources to uh, afford them the opportunity to go find the right people to get him worked on. And as a result, you know, have been given kind of the, the utmost care possible, um, you know, rid Callum of these tumors or tumor in, in his brain. And, uh, you know, really just, I think, not only humbled AB, but it humbled all of us, just how impactful that was. Um, and so it's just one more thing, one more experience that I think AB was able to uh, to experience. It's just going to make him more of a resource for those in the future. Um, and so, and I and I think that's one of those things that uh, that's special behind those site cues right there. They're a resource for people. When you're the site queue, there's there's a lot of unexpected conversations that maybe come up where um, you're looked to is that that uh, firm post, um, somebody to lean on. So um, AB is very much a strong post and uh, firm's in good hands. Absolutely, I love it too. And, and you mentioned this, but just in case you guys missed it, right? I mean, it's because he brought up his son's brain tumor asking for prayers that he then was able to find the, you know, another pack had a connection to the, the surgeon that treated him. So just thinking about that, you know, um, is, is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then, and then he went on from there and he helped fundraise for uh, pediatric brain cancer in the local area. And he, I mean, he's just, yeah. that's what, that's what we're looking for. Right. Yeah. Hey, I want to, um, I want to respect your time, but I, so this is kind of a, First time we're doing this, like a, a choose your own choose your own adventure here. So, um, oh boy, we typically ask guys if you have any advice for future leaders or practice whatever. We've recently added a new question asking about you know if you like what do you want your legacy to be, uh, but uh, we'll let you decide which which question you you feel like you would want to answer as we're kind of wrapping up here. Oh man. 
or both? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I've been told that I'm a good storyteller, but I don't know if it's I'm a good storyteller. Or I just tell stories that catch people by surprise. Um, so I don't know if I can really take credit for either one of those. Um, that's probably more so the legacy that I'll I'll end up having is, you know, the good old fashioned coonskin and story like science class provided me in high school. Um, and there's a lot of those that, that usually come up, uh, especially if you get a couple beers deep with, with your brothers and in a late night, but, um, let's see. You know, I think for the most part, um, I, I want people to, um, you know, recognize me as an individual that, uh, not afraid to be vulnerable, not afraid to shed a tear. Um, I, uh, I carry my heart on my sleeve for the most part. Um, I hurt when I see other people hurt. Um, I think that's one of those things that they're really not, uh, not that I not only know, but I think um, probably really came out over this impact weekend. You hear people's stories and the powerful things out there. I'm, I, I'm just a sap when it, when it comes to that. I put myself in their shoes and it's easy to, uh, to reflect. And I hope as a result of just those, those little elements of, of being on the sidelines and being able to put myself in them shoes that maybe I can be that resource for others. Um, regardless of maybe having firsthand experience in some of those cases, but uh, I can still be there to provide that support. Um, I also like to, you know, think of myself as, as a, a grinder, somebody that's uh, willing to put in the sweat um, because the rewards are, are usually worth it. Um, so whether it's through challenges, um, things that are just unique in nature, you know, really hope to collect a, a, a following, if you will, um, of people that want to also experience those things alongside. Well, you're certainly doing the things to kind of build a foundation there to create that legacy. And I think that's what's the most important thing. It's great that you've got this idea, but you're actually putting in the work. The kind of last thing to, to wrap this up and put a bow on it. Um, anything that, any words of encouragement that the PACs can give you if they see you out in the gloom? anything that we can be praying for you for um uh well i mean current prayers um you know I, I well i hope this prayer eventually uh becomes less often but i do have a niece that's in florida right now that uh is in bad shape um she was born with a, a defect of of such that you know basically a lot of her primary organs were up in her chest cavity and she's been on ECMO now for almost four weeks she's at the best hospital possible for at some family oh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law moved moved down there temporarily in preparation for her birth she came a little early um, my wife's actually down there right now um, being with them through this time and we're just continuing to pray for her um, hoping that the uh all the different uh, things the doctors are doing, uh, the equipment that she's hooked up to and running on uh, continues to provide her with the, the necessary support she needs as they continue to kind of start making their way off of those 
lifelines of support. And I just pray that, uh, you know, God can kind of step in there and, and take the wheel a little bit as those things trickle off and, and can jumpstart her lungs and get them doing their own thing uh, and not relying on some of that equipment. So that's really one of those prayers right now. If anything I could get out there right now is just, you know, uh, NICU is a very sad place. I had a sister that worked in the NICU for, for a couple years. And it was one of those areas where she eventually had to get out kind of just overly stressful. You see the, the hurt in a lot of young parents eyes and, some of the abuse as well that that you just wonder why people would subject such young beautiful creatures to such a thing but um yeah just prayers for her her name's waverly um as she continues to kind of battle um what else did you ask me pony just yeah words of encouragement things we can be thinking of for you oh we see you out there uh plan on starting another 75 hard um here i'm planning on the day after the super bowl only because i expect the chiefs to be in it um should the chiefs be eliminated i think uh i might start it a few days earlier just to just to pair up the old pantyhose we started on the same date last year and i think it helped me push along through there but um for me and so many other guys too 2023 is going to bring forth a a number of new goals, new challenges for all of us to continue to get better at being men and, uh, you know, providing an impact to our communities. And I think these, these little challenges, um, they're plentiful. There's a lot of them out there. Um, pick one that, that you want to dedicate to doing and uh, just make it happen. The rewards are worth it. Um, for me, just prayers here over the next few months as I embark on another 75 hard challenge and, uh, continue to evolve in, in my faith front and uh, be there for be there for the packs moving forward. Uh, F3 is one of those communities that I plan on being a part of for the rest of my life as long as it's available to me. So, or I have the, the packs members to create it, right? So. Awesome, man. Well, well thank you. And, and thank you for sharing your prayers of, of Waverly. We'll keep her in, in our prayers and keep you in our, your prayers as or our prayers as well. Um, and Thank thanks you. for, you know, sharing your story today. I think it's important that the guys hear it and that's why we do it. So thanks for your Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Appreciate yeah. It. Well, yeah, we will, uh, wrap up in a uh, name around. Cool. All right. I'm John Whitworth, 31 Pony Express. Pony Express. Nay. Um, oh. <laughs> Lee Hardy, 37, the plague. The plague. The plague. I don't even know what they do anymore. I just know it sounds a lot like a bird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Trent Freeman, 35, Toto. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Bird man, get on that. See you guys. <laughs>